The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. 653. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Happy Saturday, America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks so much for being here. Happy Saturday. Only one hour left. How does the show fly by so fast? I got one more uh, local-ish story. It's California, but I always say whenever I uh, lived in Tennessee... Uh, we still covered California stories because California is the crystal ball of what's coming uh, across the rest of the country. We can look to Europe for what's coming next to America, to California. And then you look to California for what's going to come next uh, as it swiffers across the country. So California just jacked up the cost of traffic tickets. And this is one of these uh, rare and, and exciting situations when you have conservatives and civil rights activists on the same team here uh, against this because this uh, traffic tickets and, and the increase in traffic tickets here hurts the poor the most. Now, this unity between the far left and conservatives, uh, it, it's short-lived, and I will explain why uh, coming up in the end, because the solution that Sacramento, that the state capital will find, uh, will be a solution for that the activists will like, but not that conservatives will like. So it's not really complete unity, but at least everyone's against this for now. Um, This hurts the poor the most. It's a regressive tax. So you have a progressive tax, which would be like the income tax, where the more money you make, the more you're taxed. This is a regressive tax. Um, It hurts the poor the most. So a sales tax is a regressive tax. I can afford a couple extra cents on this or that. And it's, Right. But if you're lower income, a couple of cents here and there adds up. And that's a lot of money. Sin taxes are generally uh, that are generally hurt the poor the most. So a cigarette tax, poor people, lower income people smoke more. So a cigarette tax hurts them the most. Alcohol taxes, gas taxes, carbon taxes. And here traffic fines. Most traffic fines are imposed on lower income people. Now, there's two details. Or there's two um, background points to this before we get to the details specifically. First, quickly, the point of a traffic ticket used to be, used to be, to keep the roads safe. Today, and we all know this, so I'm going to go fast, traffic tickets have become nearly entirely about generating revenue. There is no way that a cop sits at the bottom of a hill to get speeders because they want to keep the neighborhood safe from people going 47 in a 45. 
Like that, that's absurd. It's about money. Same thing with civil forfeiture. I know we've talked about this before. I'm sure you've heard of this before. This is when police pull over a car that has a lot of money in it and they seize the money. They seize the cash because they, they suspect that you might be a drug dealer or something. And when they take your money, it's nearly impossible to get it back. We told a story a couple months ago of a convenience store owner in, I think, Nevada. And it was a convenience store in the middle of nowhere. So he dealt mostly with cash. And he had a bunch of cash in his car. He was going to the bank. And he got pulled over for whatever reason. And the cops saw the cash, assumed he was a drug dealer, took the cash. He's not a drug dealer. He owns a convenience store. He's not a drug dealer at all. And he wants the money back. And it's almost impossible to get it back. This has become so prevalent that police departments have a line item in their budget that says they have to take a certain amount of money from people every year in civil forfeiture in order to properly fund the department, right? So, so now it used to be, it used to be you get a drug dealer and they have 10, 10 grand on them and you take the money and it's extra money now because it's so prevalent. Now it's, it's part of the budget. So if you've budgeted $20,000 of civil forfeiture money, then you better take $20,000 from people. Otherwise, we're going to be under budget and we're not going to be able to fund this out of the other, right? So this is a big problem. And traffic tickets obviously are the exact same thing. It's not about keeping people safe. It's about making money. But everyone knows. It. Here's the second point. This has drastic consequences, like serious, serious consequences that you may not have suspected. I certainly would not have suspected. Ferguson. Remember Ferguson? If I told, if I asked you, you know, give me one sentence about Ferguson. What, what was, what was the whole Ferguson, Missouri thing about, right? You would say, I don't know, police brutality, racial tension, something like that, right? No, it's traffic tickets. Whoa, whoa, what are you talking about, son? Yeah, it was traffic tickets is what really caused Ferguson. Ferguson was the result of a greedy local government. This is not just hate-mongering conservative talking here. This is the conclusion of the investigation of the report written by Eric Holder's Department of Justice. So Barack Obama's Department of Justice concluded that the root cause of the unrest in Ferguson were traffic tickets. In Ferguson, for the city of Ferguson, the second biggest source of revenue were court fines. So the police would ticket someone for some dumb reason. The person couldn't pay it. Then, you know, it doubles and then triples and then you have extra fees and then interest on top of that. People would have so many traffic tickets that there'd be warrants out for their arrest. They get arrested, go to jail, can't get a job, right? There's a spiral from there. And it truly all started from traffic tickets. And police officers were told that if you pull someone over for broken taillight, just write them as many tickets as you can. It was all about making money. Now, I first heard that and I said, hold on. Why would they target lower income people? Why would the city target lower income people? Why not rich people? That's where the money is, right? No, because rich people fight them, right? If you ticket a rich person, they're going to hire a lawyer and they're going to get off. Lower income people don't do that. They can't do that. And it created this horribly unjust system. This is the root of it. Now, in Ferguson's case, it kept black people down and then manifested itself in this racial tension and police brutality, which ultimately exploded. But it, the root of it, the underlying root of it was traffic tickets. Ferguson did not start because of racial tension. Ferguson started because of a greedy local government. 
And I fear the same thing will happen in California. Sacramento has been so horrible with our money, especially with pensions. They're totally broke. So they raised traffic fines to the highest in the country. A red light ticket in California is $490. That's three times the national average. So think about this. If you get a red light traffic ticket, so I got a red light traffic ticket once. I went, I uh, rolled, I didn't come to a complete stop before I turned right on red and one of the, tr- the cameras got me, right? So I paid, there's this guy in town called Mr. Ticket. I paid him, it was a $500 ticket. So I paid him a hundred bucks and got off it. But I was thinking the whole time, I was like, geez, if, if I made minimum wage, it's a $500 ticket, I make 10 bucks an hour and that's 10 bucks an hour. If minimum wage, I mean, one minimum wage was $7 an hour, but, but if $10 an hour, that's 50 hours of work. Holy cow. Now here's the unjust thing. Someone makes minimum wage. They get fined $500. Where's the $500 go? It goes to pay for someone's six-figure pension. So the person over here who's making minimum wage gets fined $500. And that money, a, a week's worth, of, over a week's worth of work is taken from them to fund someone's $100,000 a year pension. Are you kidding me? How unjust is that? I can't think of something more unjust than that. Now, here's the, here's the, here's where the the split happens. Remember I told you before that we have these nice circumstances here where we have conservatives uh, and, and civil rights activists on the left coming together against this. And I said, that's short lived. Here's why it's short lived. A conservative says, whoa, whoa, these, these fines are way too high. They're oppressive and unjust. We should lower them, right? But the civil rights activists look at this and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. These are too high. These are oppressive. These are unjust. We should lower them for low-income people and raise them on the rich. <laughs> so they're going to end up doing in California, I bet, what they have in some places in Europe, which is, the traffic ticket is connected to your income. So if you run a red light and you make $100,000 a year, that's an $800 ticket. If you run a red light and you make $20,000 a year, that's a $50 ticket. So it's going to become a progressive traffic ticket. So as opposed to lowering the price of the traffic ticket for everyone, they're going to tie it to income and make it just different type of unjust. This this happens a lot, actually. Uh, I want to read a quote here. I'll end on this. Friedrich Engels, he was the uh, founder of Marxist theory with Karl Marx. He was the co-author of the Communist Manifesto, but he doesn't get any credit for it, right? Everyone everyone knows Karl Marx, but not many people know Friedrich Engels. He was they were the co-author of the same book. Uh, anyway, he said, and check this out. So, I would write this same sentence. Right? I'm free market conservative. I would write this exact same sentence. So this is a, similar to conservatives being in line with the far left progressive activists. Like I am in line with Friedrich Engels and Karl Marx. All this entire sentence. Then, but then, boom, then we split off at the, at the end into totally different stratospheres. So he said the Roman state had become a huge complicated machine exclusively for bleeding its subjects. So we're just talking about what traffic tickets. Taxes, imposts, and tributes of every kind pressed the mass of the people always deeper into poverty. The pressure was intensified until the exactions of governors, 
of, uh, of tax collectors and armies made it unbearable. The more the empire declined, the higher rose the taxes and levies, and the more shamelessly the officials robbed and extorted. Totally with you, Friedrich. My man, Fred, right with you, bro. 100%. But then his conclusion is communism, <laughs> right? Where the state controls everything. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. How, how did you write that sentence and then conclude that we need a bigger government? I read that sentence and I look at what's going on in California and across the country. I look at that and say, oh my gosh, we need a smaller government. Obviously, that's the solution to this so that people don't need to be fined so much to begin with. And I hope maybe, maybe traffic tickets and the the increase in them can show people the light here. Because if you want the traffic fees to go down, if you want all taxes to go down, if you want more of your money, then you need a smaller government. Maybe this will get most people to see the light. We'll see. Or or it'll be like Friedrich Engels and get people to want communism. So it could go either way. 1-8-9-3393, Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, just talking about crazy California for one more segment because it's totally out of control. I think we should, because again, it's a crystal ball. It's a crystal ball for a whole country and, and, and what's probably coming to your state if it's not there already in your city. I was talking to, uh, this is a while ago, this uh, guy running for Senate, Tom Del Bacaro, running for U.S. Senate in California. Um, and he has a theory that, he's a smart guy, he has a theory that elections will continue to get more divided and our country will continue to get divided even more and more. And he says it's the government's fault for that. Why? Because the bigger the government gets, the more freebies it has to give away. And people will fight to the death for more money or just for money. I should say people will fight for the death for money, whether to receive it or to not have it taken from you. And it's crazy because we can get along as people, but when there's a giant pile of money over there, I'll run over you to get it, or at least most people will. And I can get along with you, but if the choice is between the government taking money from me or from you, I'm going to fight to make sure the government takes it from you and gives it to me. You know what I mean? So you get cronyism and dependency. It all comes into play. And, and I mean, people get desperate and, and violent. And we're only going to get more and more divided as the government gets bigger and has even more control. Now, there's going to be more division in California because in California, we have this system that's being developed of total 
control and authority over your life and then absolute lawlessness. So I'll give you a quick example of total control. There's a law in California. It's been in the books for a couple of decades called the autograph law. Uh, and it's, and it applied to sports memorabilia. Well, they just expanded Sacramento just expanded this law to anything of value any or any autographed thing over $5 in value, even books. So there's a bookstore, a lot of bookstores that do this, but there's one in particular in San Francisco that is staying in business against Amazon and, and all the online booksellers. They're staying in business by having author events. So they'll have authors come in and sign the books. And they'll charge you the same amount of money as you would, but it just keeps people coming into the store as opposed to buying it on Amazon. And it's great because this has been awesome. The new law says that with every book, every autographed book, you have to have a certificate of authenticity. You have to be bonded. You have to have this. You have to have forms. You have to have paper. You have to have this, blah, blah, blah. And you have to keep these records for seven years. So if you have an autograph signing today and you misplace the certificate of authenticity paperwork that you are mandated to keep. And seven years from now, someone comes in and says, Hey, can we see the paperwork for uh, this book signing that you had seven years ago? And you can't find it. You are fined the value of the book times 10 plus court fees, lawyer fees, this and blah, 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 blah. So let's say you have 30 books. You sold 30 autograph books at $10 a pop or no, or, or whatever, you flip it around, right? 10 to 30, whatever. Then you're going to be fined $30,000 just because you didn't keep track of this paperwork for something that's totally stupid and meaningless. And, and like, so the liability of this is so high that booksellers are like, well, we can't, we're not going to do autographed events anymore. And that's our, that's our livelihood. That's how we're staying in business against Amazon. So we're out of business and book dealers that sell autographed books, like out of New York, they're saying, well, we're not going to sell autographed books in California anymore because then we're going to have to keep the records and just for California. And that's too expensive and whatever. So it's like, so, so it's wildly oppressive regulations over here. And then, and I'll quote from Victor Davis Hanson, who's a professor at, uh, Stanford now, I think, but brilliant, brilliant, like one of the, literally one of those brilliant minds in the country right now. Um, he, he specializes in ancient history, ancient uh, warfare. He said, but he lives in Fresno. He says, if I find a dead dog dumped on the alleyway, as I have four or five times in the last 12 months with a rope around his neck and his insides exposed from dog fighting, I bury him and pass on calling the animal control people. In fairness to them, what would they do? Run an investigation into rural dog fighting? in a state in which felons are routinely re released from prisons and jails and sanctuary cities offer amnesties. Nor do I ever contact the state EPA or the county when monthly I collect baby carriages, car seats, tires, used paint cans, old Christmas trees, mattresses, and dirty diapers dumped on the side of the road. Despite occasional junk mail signifying the address of the polluter. About 50 pounds of coils of old worn out drip hoses are in front of my house today. A huge pile of plastic junk dumped uh, as if my roadside was a free waste site. How can such a green state that refuses to sell plastic bags at the grocery market prove indifferent to the spoilation of its rural hinterland? Right. And go on and on. Right. So you get this idea, you get the idea, right? So we have, California at the same time is hyper lawful 
and lawless. <laughs> so what's going to happen with the traffic tickets, you'll see. As they raise the rates, you can have the civil rights act group, activist groups who are like, oh, this is outrageous. You know, it's unfair to the poor people. So what you can have is certain people of a certain income are going to be, if not exempt from traffic tickets, I'm not kidding, uh, pay very, very low, low fines. To the point where it'll be like, ah, whatever. Like $10 for running a stop sign, right? So it's like, wow, there's no, it's not, it's not even a ticket at all. So they're going to be exempt. So what are police departments going to do? Well, now they're going to go after the higher income people, right? So you're going to have, to make up the difference. So you're going to have hyper lawfulness and then total lawlessness. And that's what happens as the state gets bigger and bigger. And as it fails more and more, that division becomes even greater. That's California. And, uh, if we had more than 10 seconds left, we could do the same analysis for the country as well. This is where we're all headed, and it doesn't end well. one 888 I want to talk about uh, conspiracy theories and some advice from a progressive to fellow progressives. We'll do that next. Slater Radio on Twitter, one 888 It's Mike Slater Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Crusaders, how are you? Thanks for being here. So, I was talking. This was on. Uh, let's see. When did when did you call me? I was on vacation last week, but or, or earlier part of this week. So I kind of missed everything. But I th- I think I came back the day after Comey was fired. I think the morning after. Um, and I had to catch up real fast on what was going on. Like I missed. I'm a media blackout. So I did the obvious thing, and I read Trump's letter to Comey, which wasn't really to Comey. It was to the media. It was to everyone. Um, oh, and, and what's his name? Um, who, Lester Holt. Lester Holt totally took the bait. It's unbelievable. The letter that Trump wrote to James Jim Comey to fire him, it wasn't for Jim Comey. Lester Holt in the interview goes, uh, Mr. President, why did you put in the letter, even though you told me three times I wasn't under investigation, nevertheless, I'm still firing you. Why did you put that in there? And it's like, Lester, you dummy. He put that in there so that you would read it and ask him about it so that you would set him up to say, well, he told me three times I wasn't under investigation. Like you totally took the bait for that. I can't believe you fall for it. Anyway, so I read the letter and it's like, okay, there's like, but then it referenced the letter from the attorney general, Jeff Sessions. So I read that letter, but that was pretty short. But that letter referenced a letter written by the deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein. So I was like, oh, okay, let's read that. So I read that. So that was much longer and that gave more detailed description as to why uh, he was getting fired. So I read it and then I read other people's you know articles and stuff and I was like, oh, no one's referencing this letter at all. And I talked about it on the show and people were calling in and they're like, well, how come we've never heard anyone talk about this letter? And it's like, oh, well, they don't want you to read this letter because if they, if everyone knew about this letter from the deputy attorney general, then the media wouldn't be able to make stuff up, right? Because if you know the truth, if you know the, le- if you read the letter, then like, well, that's why he got fired. 
But if you don't read that, then you're like, oh, why do you get fired? And you start making stuff up. This was a really great story. Like the Comey story, it's really not that big of a deal. But it's a really great story for people to project whatever they want on it. Because no one really knows what's going on. No one that you see on the TV is inside the White House. No one you see on the TV is in the Justice Department. No one knows what conversations were really had and when and with whom and how people really feel about each other and all the rest. No one really knows the truth. So they just make it up just to fill time. Because again, what's the number one priority of TV news? What is the, this is funny. I was doing, I had a live, we did on my local show, we did a live show the other day. And I said, that, and it's funny because when I'm in, in radio, you just, you're in a closet by yourself talking into a microphone. And you don't know if anyone's listening or paying attention. So it's nice to do a live event every once in a while because people will like laugh and nod their head and say amen. And you're like, oh, cool. We're so the other day I said, uh, hey, everyone, do you, remember, do you know what the number one priority of TV news is? And everyone in unison said, to fill time. I was like, oh, wow. Like, you really listen. That's awesome. That's the number one priority. So if they say, here's why he was fired, you can't fill as much time. But if you ignore the truth, and then you can say, why was he fired? And then you can fill days worth of content speculating as to why he was fired. When really no one knows the truth, but don't even pretend to reference what was given. Anyway, uh, the day before Comey was fired, Chris Saliza, who was formerly of the Washington Post, I don't know why he's not there anymore. He's at CNN now. He wrote this to fellow progressives. So Chris is, uh, is on the left. He's a progressive. And, and here he is writing to progressives. He says, what draws less attention is how Trump's presidency has convinced liberals that every bad thing whispered about any Republican is by default true. Consider that in the last week alone, liberal outrage has been sparked on at least four occasions by alleged incidents that simply aren't accurate. So let's go over these real quick. So first, uh, a Vice News reporter tweeted, cases upon cases of beer just rolled into the Capitol on a cart covered in a sheet. Spotted Bud Light peeking out from the sheet. Okay, that's all the person wrote. And everyone in the media ran with it and wrote headlines like this. Republicans celebrated taking away Americans' health insurance with cases of beer. Right. So what image does the, the image is you have Republicans who just voted on uh, Obamacare replacement and which is a terrible bill, by the way, and celebrated that by cracking open some some cold ones in House chambers. Republicans celebrated taking away Americans health insurance with cases of beer. The beer had nothing to do with the health care vote. It wasn't even going to a Republican gathering. And what's weird is the vice reporter never even said it was in the first place. So like, think about that. This is really, really amazing. And apply this to the Comey story because this is the same when it comes to projecting. Okay. Let's talk data points. Data point number one, Republicans voted on a healthcare bill. Data point number two, a reporter sees a cart full of beer on Capitol Hill. Now connect the dots. So everyone just makes up a story in their head and then reporters print stories about how Republicans are cracking beers, celebrating, taking away people's health care. Never happened. N- had nothing to do with each other at all. But it doesn't matter because the lie already went across the internet and people, it went into people's brains and nothing will change that image that people have 
about that, right? Once it's imprinted on someone's brain, there's nothing you could do to tell that person that that didn't really happen. Because once they believe it happened, that's it. It's there. But do you see how quickly people connect to dots that aren't there? Or just ignore other dots that might be there as well, right? So let's say there's, so you have one dot, uh, Republicans voted on a healthcare bill, took away Americans' healthcare. Dot number two, cases of beer uh, found in the Capitol. And they ignore dot number three, which is there's a birthday party going on by some Democrat in office number 201 or whatever. I don't even know what the beer was for, but it wasn't for a Republican party. Like, you know, celebration. It had nothing to do with that. So they ignore all the other dots because they only want to see those two dots so that they can make a connection and then paint a picture. Even though the picture is not based on anything real at all. Now, apply this to Comey. Dot number one, data point number one, FBI director gets fired. That's it. And the media scrambles to connect the dots. Because instead of asking questions like what the media is supposed to do, asking questions and finding the truth, they just conclude things immediately. We have to connect the dots now. So they start putting dots out there. A Russia investigation. Trump fired Comey clearly because Comey was going to get Trump on his Russia ties. Oh, smoking gun. We found the smoking gun. Guys. Totally making that up. And remember we talked earlier about the New York Times report about Comey asking for more money in the Russian Russia investigation and there's no evidence that that happened at all. No, there's zero evidence. The, the, the source, the anonymous sources that the New York Times use don't work at the Department of Justice or the FBI. They have no clue. But they're just making up dots. You know, I, I think of it like um, constellations. Have you ever looked at like a constellation map? And like apparently you look up and there's two stars and they're like, oh yeah, that's Leo the lion. <laughs> You're like, huh? How do you get a lion out of that? Like Big Dipper, Little Dipper, I can kind of see, but, but like, how is that a, like a... Oh, yeah, that's a cat. Like a cat. Where do you get the cat out of the three stars? It's the same thing here. It's like, oh, yeah, this here's the smoking gun. And you're like, huh? I only see two dots. How do you make a smoking gun out of the... All right, do we have time? For, uh, we got to run here. Let me... Uh, I'll do these other ones real quick. Uh... So, so Saliza was just doing four things that the media ran with that aren't true this week. Uh, rape and sexual assault will not be pre-existing conditions. Uh, another lie that the FCC is targeting Stephen Colbert. They're not really. Uh, oh, and the fourth one is the chief usher was not fired over a disagreement with the Trumps. There's this big, I guess there was a big fake story about how the chief usher. So the chief usher is like in charge of building management for the white house and she got fired and this made news because she's a black woman and she's the first woman to ever hold the job. So it fits a narrative, right? We have a minority woman who's hated by the Trumps and they fired her because Trump is a bigot and a misogynist. Well, it turns out that the president really liked her and the first lady really liked her and they got along great, but the employees who worked for her hated her. And, and one report says when the departure was announced to the resident's staff yesterday morning, workers burst into applause. So it was the total opposite of what people assumed. People assumed the media ran with it and painted this picture that here we have this beloved employee who's been at the White House for a long time and the Trumps hated her and fired her. Nope, other way around. Trump loved her. The employees hated her. So Trump fired her, got someone else. That's it. 
which is a giant non-story, but she's a black woman, so it turned into a thing. Anyway, here's Crystal Liz's point. In each of these four instances, and all of these have been, have been in the past week, liberals fueled by Twitter outrage jumped to conclusions that portrayed Trump and other Republicans in the poorest possible light. Keep in mind that Crystal Liz is a progressive. And on each occasion, the fuller story either totally or mostly rebuted the version of the story that the left had seized on by embracing every single tweet or whisper as yet another piece of foolproof evidence about just how terrible Republicans are. Democrats run the risk of appearing like the boy who cried wolf to the public. And in the process, taking some steam out of the very legitimate questions they are asking about the Trump administration. This Comey deal was no different, right? As soon as it happens, oh, Watergate, a a constitutional crisis and all stuff. Listen, people who talk, when something like this happens, like Comey getting fired, totally disregard everything you hear in the first 24 hours. Again, it's just people making stuff up to fill time. Someone who says this is Watergate is really just someone who has nothing to say. They have nothing significant to say, so they just fill it with, oh, it's a constitutional crisis. <laughs> They're there just to fill time and doing the best they can to connect dots that have no business being connected or aren't even real at all. And then they pat themselves on their back for doing such a great job. Don't be a part of that. There's nothing real about it. one 93 But listen, if they want to keep... Because Chris is right. And the reason he writes this is because he's like, listen, you keep doing this boy who cried wolf thing over here, but there are some actual things that we that, that Trump is doing badly that we need to focus on and you're undercutting our... Right? When you make stuff up over here, you're undercutting what we're doing over here. Uh, so, listen, I say... You want to keep doing this. The more the media wants to make themselves irrelevant, the better. That's all I'm saying. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. Slater Crusaders, I only got about two, three minutes here, but uh, I just read, uh, just finished David McCullough's The Wright Brothers. Uh, It's fantastic. Definitely read it if you're looking for something now. And there's a couple lessons in the book that I think are uh, worth sharing here. Uh, First, I did not realize how incredibly difficult it was, the environment that they were testing their planes out. So, I mean, we've all heard, you know, that they would, fly their planes and crash them and then fix them and fly them and crash them and and then all that. That's good. But, and that's tough and totally true, but that leaves out a ton of the background difficulties that they went through. So first Kitty Hawk in Outer Banks, North Carolina in 1909, middle of nowhere. It required a 40 mile boat ride to get there. The first time they took a boat there and they wanted to do it there, by the way, because of all the sand dunes and it was really windy. That's why they wanted to do it there. The first time they got there, there was a huge storm and the boat almost sank. So they almost died in a storm. They got there. There's like 50 people who live there. Nothing grows there. It's just sand everywhere. So food was scarce. And because it took a boat to get there, almost, you know, there were no possessions there. The Wright brothers lived in a tent. And one of two things happened. Either it was freezing cold 
at night and the blankets they had either covered their feet or their head. So they would have the blanket over their feet until their head froze and then they would put it over their head until their feet froze and they would alternate this all night long. Or in the summertime, the mosquitoes. The mosquitoes were so bad, it would, it would be in the middle of the day and it would be pitch black because there's so many mosquitoes that block the sun. So they'd wrap themselves in the blankets, but then they'd get so hot, they couldn't take it anymore. So they'd take the blankets off for a minute and then just get ravaged by the mosquitoes. And this was for uh, you know, weeks in the summertime. And then for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they had the same thing every single day. And it was just a horrible, horrible existence. But they kept going. Never stopped. I'll just wrap up with this last point. Um, the risks that they needed to take. Uh, it's easy for us to forget. Wilbur, Wilbur Wright gave a speech in Ohio. And he took a piece of paper and he dropped it to the ground, right? And the paper floated down to the ground. You know, as, as you, would, you know how it would work, right? It flies all over the place. And he said it would not, the paper would not settle steadily down as a sensible piece of paper ought to do, but it insists on contravening every recognized rule of decorum, turning over and darting hither and thither in the most erratic manner, much after the style of an untrained horse. This is the kind of horse that men need to learn to manage in order to fly. And there's two ways to do it. One is to get on him and learn by actual practice how each motion and trick may be best met. The other way is to sit on a fence and watch the beast and then retire to the house at leisure to figure out the best way of overcoming his jumps and kicks. The latter system is the safest, but the former, getting on the beast, turns out the larger proportion of good riders. All right, so it's safer to sit on the fence and watch and do calculations about how to fly, but what you really gotta do is get on the plane and try and try and try. So two lessons I learned, don't let the mosquitoes get to you, and you gotta get off the fence and on the horse if you wanna be successful. Mike Slater Show, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.